Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. And that means it's time for another episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. So welcome, everybody. And we have a special guest today. We have a couple of guests. You got the usual uh, Mark and Jimmy here. Jimmy speaking. And then we are joined to talk about a product. We're going to see how a product-related podcast goes uh, by Ruben, who just tossed a box across the table. Ruben, you've met before on the podcast. He's chatted with us uh, down in Texas the three-gun match there, and probably a couple other times. I can't remember, but David Hamilton here is with us. Dave, also known as. And Dave works in, heads up, product development here at Vortex. And uh, so he's joining us, and we're going to chat about the UH1 holographic site. So we'll, we'll get into that here, but briefly, we got to introduce you guys to Dave. So Dave, you're in product development. You headed up here at Vortex. You've been involved in the UH1, really every product, but you're involved in the UH1 from the very beginning. And you didn't want us to mention too much, but you do enjoy traditional longbow. Yep, that's right. I like to shoot longbow, and it's just fun. It's just enjoyable thing to do. Yeah, so he shoots traditional longbow. You do ice climbing and rock climbing, too. I do, stuff yep, like a little that. bit. So enjoys, enjoys the outdoors and quite a bit of shooting as well. Is, was that too much? Uh, that's okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll, we'll keep it fairly minimal. He's a, he's a mysterious man. But anyway, so like we said, we want to talk about the UH1. And uh, part of the reason being that we did want to try out a product-related podcast and see how you guys uh, enjoy that. But then also part of the reason being the UH1 has been pretty tough to come by. Yep. Since it came out, so we're not we're not exactly bringing a brand new product to you per se. You might already know about it, but actually, quite a few people might not even know about it just because they haven't seen them very much. They haven't been out there in in big numbers, and so we've managed to sort of over time ramp up the production. And now we're at a little bit a point where it's a little bit more comfortable. We feel actually okay talking to you about it. You know, it's not uh, dangling something in front of you that you can't find anywhere. So when you're listening to this podcast, unless uh, something tragic has happened and every uh1 has somehow disappeared from the face of the earth you should Heaven be able to forbid yeah you should be able to find one to, much easier so anyway we we kind of also know that it's it's a little bit of a unique product it's it's different from most of the uh, most of the other products in our whole lineup by being that it's a holographic site and not too many people are probably overly familiar with holographic sites yeah we just want to dive in a little bit further so first off, uh, let's let's talk, and maybe uh, Dave, you can speak to this, or anybody else can speak to this too. When we keep saying UH1, for some people who maybe literally haven't heard anything about it, we mentioned it's a holographic site, but uh, the first image that might have popped in your head was a helicopter. Do we yeah. know? So where, what's the what's the origin of that name? Can we dive in for like 30 seconds on that? Um, where yeah, that it's, it's nothing real complicated. I mean, really, ultimate holographic site is the first one we've done, so there's the one, and um, obviously the uh, Huey's a pretty cool helicopter, so why not? Totally. It's kind of a theme. We've got the Strike Eagle, we've got the Spitfire. What else we got going? That's a military-related aircraft. Strike Eagle, Spitfire, like you said. I know there's more. Viper? Viper? That is the F-16, yes. Don't call it the Fighting Falcon. <laughs> Those guys won't like you. Bad move. Bad move. <laughs> that is some good information to know. It is. I especially may have since... just gotten out of a fight. <laughs> that actually explains some fights. <laughs> yeah. That does. That yeah. does. Now we also know what to say, too. I, we're very close to an F-16 base right here in Madison. We are. So. See them just about every time I take <laughs> off out of the uh, good old MSN airport. Yeah, yeah. quick to go to the F-35, actually. So Really? Yes, we will be upgrading to the, to the F-35, yeah. Very interesting. We may have a new product name on our hands. Interesting knowledge from the mysterious man over there. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's, all right, let's dive in now. We've talked a little bit about where the name came from. So uh, UH1, Ultimate Holographic. Let's talk about the H. It's a it's a 1X or, or no X, if you will, site in a way. It's similar to a red dot in that regard, but it's not a red dot. It's it's a holographic site. So what what is that? Dave, we'll have you speak to it first. What is it that makes a holographic site different from a red dot? Why don't we call it just a red dot? Well, I mean, I guess a lot of people do call them generically red dots just because you know, effectively to the user, it seems very similar, but there are some advantages. I guess I'll talk to the end user advantages first and we can get into how you achieve those through technology later. But the main, the main difference between a holographic site is because of the way you're generating the image of that reticle, 
you can have a much larger field of view or scene without any distortion at all. You know, on a red dot, generally speaking, you'll see them where they're pretty small uh, field of view, it's a pretty small aperture, and there's still some distortion that you're seeing there. You don't get any of that distortion to your scene that you're looking at in a holographic site. And when you say distortion, primarily, is that like is that like a blue tint sometimes people talk about, or is that like actual image, maybe like a fishbowl effect, or what kind of It's more like the fishbowl effect that you're talking about. Yeah, okay. it's okay. the fishbowl effect. So, Which, especially when you're panning with both eyes open, it can seem very disorienting or sometimes give you kind of a, a sick-to-your-stomach feeling if you're, you know, one eye is looking through something that looks like a fishbowl and the other eye isn't seeing that. So what you'd like to look through is where both eyes are seeing the exact same thing. You know, you can almost like a heads-up display. And so you're going to get more of that heads-up display feel in a holographic site. Okay, and you get that, and then you get a larger sort of field of view through the optic then. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason, I guess, why the UH-1 kind of has the form factor it does. It's a little bit it's a little bit larger. Also, maybe maybe other holographics you've seen out there tend to have a little bit larger field of view through the optic. Mm-hmm. Now, is that is that really just something that people are looking for? And Rube, you've you've shot this scope a lot too, or this this optic a lot too. You know, like a bigger field of view through the optic, for example, that you can get it because you don't have to use a lens at the front, right? So like a That's red right. dot has a reflective or refractive, what is it? Well, it's it's really doing both, actually. So you have a lens in the front that's a, a parabolic, we'll call it a reflector, but you're just reflecting certain wavelengths, the, the wavelength of the LED that's being reflected onto it. And it's a parabolic shape because you can get the rays of the LED coming off that parabola parallel, which is how you're going to achieve what's referred to as quote-unquote parallax-free. We can talk more about that later. No red dot or holographic is truly 100% parallax-free, but industry standard will refer to as parallax-free. And then you're transmitting most of the rest of your uh, visible wavelength spectrums through the site, so you're doing a, a bit of both. You're refracting and you're reflecting. And when you have that parabolic reflector in there, it's obviously going to cause distortion to the scene image that's coming through the site. So you have to have it in order to get the red dot to reflect, but it's also um, causing distortion. And so a lot of times you'll, and what you see in most red dots, they'll add another lens to the parabolic reflector, if you will, to try and uh, eliminate the distortion. But you never really truly eliminate all of it. And the larger your aperture is, the more distortion you're going to see, especially for a given focal length or, or length of a sight. And so those are all issues you have to deal with on a red dot, where on a holographic site, you don't have to deal with that. Because these are just windows on either end of the, uh, of the site, right? That's right. That's right. There's no, uh, there's no parabolic reflector in the UH-1. There's no, in fact, there's no lens between your eye and the scene you're looking at at all. There are windows. So I guess you, you could technically call it a lens, but it's a flat window. So you're not really refracting that light in a way that would cause any distortion. So, Rube, when you're shooting this site, what, what, how does that translate? Because obviously you've shot a lot of red dots in your day. Prism scopes, too, and now holographic sites. You've got quite a few rounds down this. What, what does that translate to? Well, to kind of go back to what Dave said a little bit, when you're shooting a red dot, you know, in a perfect world, I guess, when we're shooting any rifle or shotgun or whatever type of weapon we're shooting, you would hopefully be centered up on the optic. And so whether you achieve that by a certain cheek uh, riser on a rifle or a certain type of stock that you're using, ideally you want to be in, you know, centered up so that the dot is in the center of the window. It's kind of it's ideal um, in helping you acquire targets and engage them faster, more accurately. But in the real world, that doesn't always happen. And so a lot of times you'll see uh, the holographic site being used in an application or a red dot site being used in an application with no power, no magnification, or one power. That's kind of how you would describe it as 1x optic. The reason for that type of site, fast acquisition, no magnification, so your field of view and your transitions from targets are, are acquired very quickly. So in a, in a site like this, very important to have as minimal distortion as possible uh, because you can't always get in a perfect shooting position behind the gun. Sometimes we're shooting around a barricade. Sometimes you might be engaging you know, through a car, out of a window, uh, through a port, whether you're law enforcement, military, competition, or just the everyday shooter trying to improve your skills, we do have to shoot from compromised positions a lot. And so because of that, that reticle isn't always centered up in your field of view. And with, uh, with a red dot, you might see some distortion on the edges, kind of like Dave was alluding to, from a compromised position. Now, if, with a UH-1, you're not getting that distortion. And so you're getting 
a truer sight picture. You're not getting that fishbowl effect where it feels you feel squeamish looking through the sight, two eyes open. If you're shooting two eyes open, you're able to acquire targets faster and transition faster, and so it all ties in together of why having zero distortion or minimal distortion on a sight like this really, like how that helps the shooter engage targets more accurately and quicker. Hmm. Very cool. So... Also, okay, so one thing that people talk about all the time, and I'll bring this up too with, with red dots as well, is you know, we see it a lot out there where uh, somebody really wants to get a red dot, but they have an astigmatism. This is just out of curiosity. Does, have you guys seen or do you know if does the UH1, can someone with an astigmatism use it, or would they suffer the same issues they might have with a red dot? Is that any, any different? You still can have issues with astigmatism in a holographic, just like a red dot. I have heard from some people who have had problems with red dots that it's better on the holographic site, but you're not going to completely eliminate the problem. I think you're you're right, Dave. I think the incidence of which, or the number of people who have issues with a holographic type site is much lower than the number of people who have an issue with a red dot, just from what I've seen. You know, part of that is because you're, you know, you're not seeing a reflection of an LED. You're seeing a project, a laser projected image. And so most people's astigmatisms are really set off by reflections. And this is actually a projection. To kind of like expand on that, one thing that I've noticed shooting holographic sight like the UH-1 is that it gives the shooter the feel that the image of the reticle is being kind of projected downrange, right? So one thing I notice with red dots a lot is that my eye wants to focus on the dot, which is anywhere from four to six inches away from my eye. And so I'm either focusing on the dot or I'm focusing on the target. And we're always taught you know, shooting pistols to focus on your front sight, right? You'll either blur the image downrange or you'll blur the dot. And so that's the problem I see shooting a red dot. Whereas when I shoot a UH-1, I get the feel as a shooter that an image of the reticle is projected onto the target. And so I'm able to focus on the target, place my shots more accurately, and not see a distorted reticle. Yeah, and you effectively are putting the reticle on the target. So in a hologram, you're actually creating a virtual image. And so, it, not to get too nerdy and techy here, but when you, you're basically recording an image onto a medium, it's very similar to what you're doing in the holographic film. And so, you can record what looks like a reticle at a set distance. And so, that's what we're doing in the UH-1. So, when you're seeing that holographic image being reflected to your eye, you're seeing an image of a reticle at a distance. And so, that's why when you look through the site, it appears as if the reticle is at that distance because you're getting the same wavelengths that you would if you actually placed a reticle at hmm. that distance. That's interesting. So what distance is the reticle projected at in the UH-1? It's, it's about 50 yards. About 50 yeah. yards. So, and what does that mean then, I guess, you know, to somebody maybe listening who's not overly familiar with this stuff, that doesn't mean you can only shoot it at 50 yards, right? No. So what, what will kind of change as you change the distance that you're shooting at? The reason you put it at that distance is for, and this is where the whole parallax conversation comes in, trying okay. to get what's called parallax-free. So the idea of parallax-free is that Ruben talked about a little bit before, when your head position isn't perfect, you still want the reticle to be placed in the same spot. So if, you're, if your rifle were to stay perfectly still, but you moved your head around, you want that reticle to appear to be in the same spot to your eye so you know right where you're aiming. Um, sites that are not parallax-free, if you moved your head, the reticle would appear to move in relation to the target. And so nothing is ever truly parallax-free, and that has to do with just angles. And so by the further away you put um, a reticle, the more effectively parallax-free it's going to be. And that really just has to do with angles. It's, it's a really hard thing to describe, and I was actually thinking a lot about this before the podcast how I was going to kind of explain how angles can make a big difference. And so the further away the object is, the less the angles change. And I'll give you this sort of analogy. Imagine that you're, imagine that you're in Chicago and you're looking at a skyscraper and you're standing across the street from the skyscraper and you take your finger and you're going to point it at the top of the skyscraper. Well, you're, you're going to be pointing almost straight up, you know, right across the street. It might be um, between the level ground and your arm. It might be like an 85-degree angle. And then let's say you walk 10, 10 miles away and you point at that same skyscraper. Uh, from 10 miles, it might kind of seem to be a small skyscraper on the horizon. You could probably even with your finger cover up the whole skyscraper. But if you point at the top, your finger might be at like a, a five degree angle between the ground and your arm, right? If you're pointing right at the top. Well, now let's say from 10 miles away, you go 20 miles away. 
that skyscraper looks smaller. And when you point at it, instead of a five degree angle, it might be like a, a four or a three degree angle. So you see that the angle change got a lot smaller or you had a bigger change in the first 10 miles than the second 10 miles, right? And so what's happening is, is the further you get away, you're effectively almost reaching a parallel angle with your arm. And so you call that almost effectively a parallel ray angle. And so on something like this, when you put the reticle at 50 yards, anything further than that, that change is so minimal that it's effectively parallax-free at 50 yards or beyond. But you start getting objects that are very close, and you're going to see a lot more parallax. And so you'll see sometimes where people will actually test you know, in their, in their house, is it parallax free? And they're looking at something 10 feet away and no, there's going to be parallax there. You're going to see it. But once you start getting at objects 50 yards and further, you're not going to see it because the ray angle change between an object at 50 yards and a mile is much, much less than between five inches and two feet or five inches and 10 feet. And so you'll see it there. The flip side to that though, is even though you have parallax inside that 50 yards, the actual lateral distance that moves is very small. So your miss, your miss is actually much smaller in that right. area. Because so you're still dealing with angles at that point. It's are. just that you have a shorter linear distance to the yep. target. And if you have a an error there, it's not going to make as much of a difference over that short distance. That's correct. So yeah. you won't actually, I mean, you might not pinpoint hit right where you were thinking you might, but but it's not going to be a huge difference. Right. It's, That's what I was going to ask. From, yeah. like, from a practical standpoint, right. you know, practical use standpoint, how the optic's going to be used. How big a deal is that? And it doesn't sound like it's a really big deal. No, because even it's at not. its even at its most extreme, if some target was directly at the end of your rifle, so it's two feet from your sight, you can move your head around all you want, and the reticle can move all you want. But either way, the guy's at the end of your barrel or the target. Okay, and that's one th- that's actually interesting too that you bring that up because talking about angles, and this is a conversation more just could go into any type of optic sight, but I think a lot of people forget to think in terms of angles when they're shooting. Shooting is all about angles. I was talking with this to the guys just before we got on this podcast too, and, and this gets into, you, you can talk about this with like optic over bore height. People start fretting over optic over bore height when they're shooting really long range, you know, and, and fretting over a millimeter or something, or you can talk about it even where people are talking about MOA and MRAD, and people start trying to convert it to linear units of measurement. Anyway, but angles come into play <laughs> everywhere, but that's pretty sweet. You guys have explained a little bit of the H and maybe that some of the differences between this and a red dot. Unless you guys have anything, any, anything else that's big that's different between this and a red dot, it'd be interesting to talk about the U in UH1 because we say <laughs> ultimate, right? And so the Huey, as aptly named, is not the first holographic site ever. You know, we, we didn't completely reinvent the wheel, but that said, uh, I think we called it ultimate because it does have some, some unique features to it compared to some of the other holographics mm-hmm. people might be familiar with. And, and if you guys can maybe just jump into a couple of those things to give people some, some more information on that who might not be as familiar or maybe more familiar with the uh, kind of more traditional holographics out there prior to this. Yeah, there, it's, it's probably the, that I know of the second holographic or mainstream widely distributed second holographic site on the market that's truly a holographic site. And the, the other holographic site on the market people are familiar with it. And there, there was a known issue with some thermal drift that happened in, on that site, just where, you know, as temperature changed, where it was aiming wasn't, wasn't accurate. And so um, one of the things that we wanted to improve on this was to reduce that thermal drift. And so we're actually using a totally different optical train on this one. And that not only reduces our thermal drift, but it gives us a lot of other advantages as well that you'll see. So we reduced the thermal drift quite a bit. Every site, actually, I'll mention, every site out there has thermal drift. There's actually some sites that have tried to claim that they don't have any thermal drift, and we've tested them, and we see thermal drift in everything. And this is on par with some of the better ones that are out there. It's it's pretty minimal. And can we talk about, too, like how, how does one... I mean, like you said, the, the thermal drift is sort of measured over if, let's say, you know, a site its point of aim shifts over a, a wide temperature spectrum. But right. does that work where you zero the site at, let's say, 70 degrees, and then it drops down to all of a sudden negative 20? I don't know what kind of environment you're in if you're doing that, but uh, let's say it drops down to negative 20, and, and it shifts there, or vice versa in the heat direction. Is that, I guess, I'm try- trying to get at, like, how is that? how does that work? You know, is it where always when it gets really cold, it's going to shift? Or what if you zeroed it at a really cold temperature and then it got just a little bit colder will it 
It won't shift as much. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and every site's going to be different. I mean, you have to test every site. But yeah, if you zeroed it at negative 20 and then it went to negative 30, there's probably going to be very little shift between those two temperatures. But if you zero it at 70 uh, Fahrenheit and it goes to negative 20, you know, you might have on most, on most really good sites around one MOA of drift. What we found on the, on the UH-1 is that there's actually very little drift until you start getting to the colder temperature. So you might actually have almost none until like zero. And then you might start seeing just a tiny bit after that. And same going on the hot side. So yeah, it does depend on where you zero it. But I mean, what we've seen on this side is that it's pretty flat in those areas like zero to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's not until you start getting beyond those extremes where you start to see just that little bit of rise. And that's where you're talking about too. And in, in the UH1 isn't necessarily alone in that because pretty much everything that we've we've seen That's out right. there does have some yep. thermal drift like that. What What's actually physically happening that's causing that? How much time do you have? <laughs> How much time you got, buddy? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that's going on. You know, in holographic sites, I mean, some of it is even just what's happening to the way the laser wavelength, I mean, it's a specific wavelength that you're shining onto the laser. And so the way they interface will change and cause drift. And so actually one of the technologies that we're using the UH-1, which is proprietary to that, is we're actually uh, altering electronically the laser a little bit as the temperature changes. So the site's actually sensing what the temperature is, and then it's adjusting itself for the temperature to keep the, um, the reticle stable and the aim point stable. Beyond that, it, gets, it would get really technical, but there's all kinds of things that can be happening. I mean, it can be even just the physical frame of the site itself could be just warping and, and distorting a little bit under temperature changes. And that could cause the, the point of aim of the reticle to shift a little bit. There's so many things that can cause it. But from a, yeah, from a technology standpoint, holographic standpoint, I think one of the biggest features is just that we're electronically controlling that and sensing the temperature and then adjusting for it as the temperature is changing. And we've kind of talked about this since, since we you know, came out with the optic. One of the benefits of it is that the base of the optic and the housing of the optic are kind of two different units, right? The base is what mounts securely to the rifle. The optic is what moves on the base uh, to adjust your windage and elevation. But the actual sighting system is, like the laser, is actually completely immovable within the sight. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's one of the cool things about the UH-1 is that we're not physically adjusting the angle or the direction of the laser. We're actually, That's right. that is completely fixed and completely sealed in place so that we don't have to worry about, you know, we're not relying on springs to keep that in one position. Like, right. like it doesn't have like an erector tube like a rifle scope would have, or even actually red dots have mm -hmm. an erector system. Right, like in a red dot, you'd see sometimes it's that little bit of a bump on the 6 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock position where that's your LED emitter, and that's the thing that shines yep. late the the mm -hmm. led so that's actually in a red dot you're moving that physically yeah. with your turrets your turrets push against that little tube inside of a tube right yep and so the best way that i could explain this to to anyone actually um is is that imagine the uh1 is a rifle scope where the reticle doesn't move but you have adjustable rings hmm. interesting right okay so we're not relying upon mechanical devices inside of the optic to maintain zero. The base is actually what adjusts your zero and then maintains it. And because it's not needing to be contained within the optic, it's actually in the base, we can make that more robust, more durable, more sturdy, and the adjustments more precise. Yeah, there's another advantage too, and, and Ruben touched on, is all the, all the mechanics that actually create the holographic image and do all the reflecting and everything else that's going on in there it's all contained inside the site and it's not touching the top, we'll call it the outer hood on that, on the UH-1. So any kind of shock or if you bump it on a, a door frame or anything like that, you're not directly transmitting the shock to any sensitive component. And actually those outer windows that are on the site are, are literally just sealing off the site. So you could break one, you could bust it out of the site and you still have a working site. And that's very unique on our site, and it gives us a couple of advantages, not only in durability, but you'll see in other sites where they have to have a secondary sort of shroud on the outside to protect the sensitive components. And so when you're looking at it from behind, you have this really thick sort of bar, this secondary 
hood around it that's kind of obstructing your view a little bit. And it, it sort of takes away from that heads-up display feel that you get through the UH-1. And so we don't have to have that second hood, and it, it really helps your, your view when you're looking through it. I'd say that's one thing that really stands out to me just looking at the optic, you know, not, not even through it. But um, it's a very sleek, utilitarian design. And like you said, you know, because of that, also, while you're looking through it, I, I feel like your situational awareness, you know, around yeah. the optic is, is better as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is really low profile. Actually, I was hoping we get into that too. Like you said, it, it looks very much different from from maybe something that people would be more familiar with out there. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about those few things that are different. Now, again, kind of sticking with things that you can just see from the outside. So let's see here. We got a quick release base on this site that come, it's just all part of the site, right? It's not something yep. that you take off or put on kind of like you would on a, a, a spark or a crossfire red dot, for example. It's just, that's all part of one unit. Right. And then let's see here, moving on to the back, you got the digital buttons at the back. So let's talk. Okay. All right. Digital buttons just made me think of this. So auto on off. What are we working with here? So you push the buttons on any button turns it on. Yep. And then what's uh, are there any kind of like timer functions or anything like that with the, yeah, there is. There's a, I believe it's a 15 hour timer. We tried to give it more than 12 just because a lot of law enforcement's duty shifts are 12 hours and Murphy's Law will dictate that things will go south at the 12th hour or the 11th hour, as they say. And so we don't want it shutting off right when they need it. So I think it was 15 hours is what we put in there. But you can disable that for people who don't like it. There's a way to disable, I believe. You just press and hold the minus button. And then you wait for the reticles to flash. It's either two or three times. And then that disables the auto shutoff. But if you do that, of course, if you get to turn it off, it's going to run until the battery runs out, which is about 1,500 hours at the, uh, the middle setting. Which, by the way, red dots can go a lot longer than that. But for a holographic site, that's the most by almost three times longer than, than any other holographic site on the market. Why so. is that? Why, what's exciting about it's just a more efficient system, really, all around. A more efficient hologram. And actually, there's some other advantages even from that as well, which we, we talk about in market, the, the lack of forward signature. And that, become, that comes from a, a very efficient hologram design. So you're not, you're not emitting a lot of, of light. You're not seeing, you can't actually see anything out the front when the, when the site is turned on, which is unlike other, other sites, even red dots and holographics, they emit you know, light from that reticle. Yeah, we get we get customers saying, "I think you forgot to put the big yellow sticker on the side of my site." And we didn't forget it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't for the, need uh, one. laser safety <laughs> classification. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yep. It's because it's such low energy and so efficient. We don't. It's not actually a class two laser. So. Okay, okay. So explain to and, and briefly because you mentioned two things because we're talking about we're we're dipping into battery life here. You also mentioned forward signature, mm-hmm. which I want to hit on as well. But while we're talking about battery life, so you mentioned how red dots can go a lot longer than that. So obviously right. it seems to be, you know, a numbers game when people get on uh, online on the forums or whatever and they talk about how long their red dot can last. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so 1,500 hours really isn't going to impress maybe somebody who goes, oh, man, you know, my thing XYZ goes 50,000 hours. Uh, obviously we talked about the differences. They're talking about a red dot, and we're talking about a holographic site, which has its own unique advantages. But, but why is it that maybe a holographic site, 1,500 hours, is really something? It, it can't quite get like a 50,000 hour. Is it just... I mean, you're using a laser. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the main difference. So you're using a laser to shine at a hologram to create an image. And that's, you get the advantage of the, the main one being the large field of view with no distortion. Whereas in a red dot, you're just using a small LED. It uses a way less power than a laser does. And so you get the advantage of battery life, but at the expense of distortion in a much smaller field of view. And so it really just depends on what the user wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at it from the actual numbers standpoint, that's why I had to get my calculator out. But 1,500 hours is like at a 12-hour shift, it's 125 shifts. You know, So it's still, you're not talking about changing the battery more than once a year. Right. Which probably is just good practice. That's just good practice. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I'm not sure why everybody you know, likes to run it The zombie apocalypse comes and you need to go for years and years, then maybe you need 50,000 hours. But, but you know. I think if the apocalypse comes, you probably need two UH1s. That's right. Yep. <laughs> That's what, I got two hands. One, one, or, one, or two, one or two things extra you might need. <laughs> yeah. One for both shotguns. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So... Well, and oh, sorry. No, I, I think I was probably I was probably going to maybe mention 
or bring up what you were talking about, Dave. Uh, Dave mentioned forward signature. Yep, exactly. And, and I wanted for those who may not be aware of what that is, maybe maybe elaborate on that or explain. Yeah, forward, it, forward signature and and why it's important to maybe not have any forward signature. Right, and like we've yeah, the forward signature thing we've talked about it. You know, when we were when we were initially releasing this site, and I remember some people were just kind of ah BS, whatever, it doesn't matter, but. I don't, I don't think a lot of these people, well, a lot of these people, I guess rightfully so, spend most of the time behind their optic. I hope you don't spend a lot of time on the front end of optics, especially when they're attached to, to guns. But they haven't again, seen these again, things. Again, good practice. They yeah. haven't seen these things in a dark room da- looking down the front end. Dave, it, so you can, you can talk yeah, to this. Yeah, I mean, this, but. you know, the, all, all the other red dots and holographic sites out there, and even some rifle scopes that have eliminated reticles, really most of them, they do shine light out the front of the optic. And so whether that creates a flashlight effect on some of the worst offenders that are out there or it just gives your position away, you know, right where your eyeball is in your brain, which is behind that, it, it, gives, it gives a target for someone to aim at. I got, <laughs> if you I got ever a, watched a sniper movie, I got, you're going to get shot in the eye. I got, a, I got a story here. So Mark and I, going back a little bit, Mark and I have sat together for like the last three years, roughly, before we moved to this building, mm-hmm. which, by the way, it's been hard. kind of miss you. But, it's been hard. But nonetheless, <laughs> I've sat right next to Mark for a long time. Mr. Musk. Mark is a very intricate person who has a very well-developed persona of what I would call a office door kicker persona. And Mark Definitely. has been, yeah, okay. over, no. over the years, Mark has been developing the number, like the ultimate door kicker rifle. I still haven't seen it yet. Still haven't. Uh, he keeps it so well under wraps, I haven't even seen it, well, as much as a roll pin. It's but, because it's a ghost gun. Oh. oh so can you say you, that? Probably you didn't know that. Well, can you, so, did you just... MC Ryan, can we, can we like, edit what he just... Keep, just keep just, going. Maybe they'll forget it. Okay. Yeah, we don't want people to know we have those. But So Mark and I are sitting there, and I just got out of a product development meeting and came back, and Mark's like, oh, yeah, talk about... What's uh what's the deal with that? And I was like telling him some of the specs about it. And I was like, Yeah, and it doesn't have any forward signature. And he's like, Oh, that'll be great for door kicking. <laughs> Straight <laughs> I, face. I think you hit I think you hit the nail on the head. Mark knew right off the bat. But like we said, I mean, understandably it, for most people spending time behind an optic, it doesn't hit you until you really like, turn the thing around. Don't do it when it's on your gun, please. The the Vortex Nation podcast did not tell you to turn your gun around. But flip your flip your sight around in a dark room sometime and with a with a red dot, you see that red LED. Back there at that again, it's that it's that little tiny bump, you know, in a, in a certain position on your on your red dot. If you look down the front end, you will see it. And then with and for, uh, and for some folks, it's not a big deal. Oh, right, right. I mean, but for certain ones, but why not? It is. If we can do it, let's do it right. Yeah, oh, I yeah. mean, it, it, you talk about like a home defense. That's the military law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. I don't military want the law. bad guy playing connect the dots with me at all. Well, no. and what I was bringing up was if the function of your firearm and the optic is not that scenario. Like, if, if it's never going to be in that scenario, then... Right, if it's then, a range gun, then... Right. Okay, but so there are certainly many points where it where it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we, we talked about forward signature. Explain that a little bit. All right, let's see. Now, I flipped the optic around. We have one right in front of us here for reference, too. That's why we're... Uh, that's what we're talking about. But what's up with this micro USB on the side? Is that going to short circuit in my face and blow the side up and fizz <laughs> it out into a no. french fry? Or, no. okay, so I'm not going to get potato chip UH-1 when rain hits it, right? No, I mean, the idea behind that was just to be able to use a different type of battery, a rechargeable battery if you wanted to. So say you're you're using it in your squad car, your, your law enforcement, and you want to plug it in and have it be you know charged up all the time and ready to go. You can do that. Or if you just like to use rechargeable batteries for whatever reason, it just gives you an option to be able to charge um, the battery by plugging it into that. So let's say in my zombie apocalypse fantasy world that <laughs> something does happen to it because I very clearly will find a way to get water in a waterproof thing and somehow break it or pack dirt in there or whatever. Is my whole site going to go down if I, if I get crap no, in there? No, it's actually waterproof even with the cover off. Okay. And even if something just an act of God came in there and zapped that little micro USB, will the rest of the scope... No, I mean you wouldn't be able to charge a recha- uh, rechargeable battery, but you could still run it off of a off of a normal battery or a fully charged rechargeable battery. It still operate just fine. Oh, everything else works. Yep, everything works. I'm playing dumb. I knew that. 
I, know. I just wanted to. You had me going. You, 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 you <laughs> baited him right into it. I He's ha- so I good at blurring to. the lines between actually being dumb and playing dumb that sometimes we just don't know. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Spoken like a true friend. Um, or brother. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, cat's out of the bag. You're trying to be Mr. Mysterious over there, but now everybody knows we're wait, bros. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, but cool. All right. So we talked we talked a little bit about the U now in UH1. Dave already alluded to the fact as to why the one is in there, so we don't really need to get into that. First holographic site that we've had. We have gotten Mark, did you have any other questions for him on that? No. Oh, good. Covered. Well, one thing that we were going to get at is obviously being that we talk with a lot of people on social media, we have gotten a number of questions in. We figured we'd ask you guys, and then that way people who are listening in can get their answers if they had these. Now, I got a list of, I think we knocked out a couple of them ahead of time or during the, during the podcast here. But let's talk, let's talk this. First question a lot of people ask because it's, it's very clearly more important than does the site actually function. Where is it made? It's actually made, made in the USA. So Sweet. Um, we do get the hologram from the U.K., um, and that's listed on the site. You can see that. But other than that, it's it's made and assembled here in the USA. So. Awesome. So what's up with the uh, okay? Next question. What's up with the reticle? So how does how does that work? It's got a large outer kind of circle, and it's got a centered dot, and then there's a, there's a triangle in there. How, how does that work? Can you explain that? It's called the EBRCQB. Rube, you want to explain that? Yeah. So you've got a center dot, like Jim alluded to. You've got a 65 MOA circle that goes around that center dot. They're concentric to one another. The dot in the center is one M away. The idea is that you've got a more precise aiming point for engagements at further distance or for a more precise placement of your shot. But then you've got the outer circle, which is, it can be used for a less precise aiming point, right? So if you're not in a, in a situation where you need to be super precise, like the target is up close, you just need to get the target inside of that circle, and pull the trigger twice. If not, then, of course, the other kind of concept of a circle dot is that it's centering you into, it's drawing you into the center of the optic and into the center of the reticle. With a lot of shooting, a lot of shooting is actually kind of, you're harnessing the subconscious. You're not necessarily thinking about what you're doing, and especially if time is of the essence, you're not thinking of the process. You're just doing what you've trained yourself to do. So there's, you know, really ultimately it depends on the size of the target and how important it is that you are being very precise in your shot placement and also being accurate. So if you need to be more accurate, you've got the center dot. If you need to be faster, you've got the outer circle. Now that outer circle actually has wings and then a a vertical wing as well. So think of wings on an airplane and then a tail fin. That actually does a couple of things. That also redirects you to the center of the optic. It's pointing in. But the horizontal ones actually really help you to keep the, the optic leveled, right? So they're kind of an indicator. And, and whether or not that's an intent or whether or not, or, or maybe it's just a consequence of what the design has done, I've found in shooting that, when you have those indicators of your level, lack of cant, I guess you would say, in the rifle and optic combo, it really does help you maintain level. So that's important because if your optic is completely perfectly above the bore, you're going to be more accurate in long distance shooting, right? Because your your, your bullet is going to drop perfectly in line when only when your rifle is leveled. So then the, the third kind of aspect to the reticle is that you do have a triangle on the very bottom of the 65 MOA center dot, which so puts that's it... that's like your 1,500-yard holdover. 1,500-yard. I think it r- works out to be something like something like 800 yards with a 2-2-3, but... Oh, close. Luckily... I tried it. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, it actually works for your CQB holdover as well. Now, what's that? Well, when you've got an optic mounted roughly 1.5, 2.5 inches above your bore you're going to have an offset, that bore-to-bore offset. Angles. Yep, angles, back to angles. But you do have a bore-to-bore offset, so if you were shooting at something and you really notice it when you're very close, kind of like you don't notice parallax as you get further away as much, you really do notice the offset as you get closer. So if you were a foot from the end of the bore, your offset, you might be shooting 2.5 inches low of your center dot. As you get out to 10 yards, you might only be 
an inch and a half low, and as you get out to 25 yards, you might only be a half an inch low. But we would call it like the sub-seven-yard holdover. That triangle gives you a point so that you don't have to just guess your holdover. You actually just put the target at the tip of the triangle, and that's your new aiming point. Okay. So that's why that's the CQB portion of the EBR CQB. So it's for close, fast stuff, so you don't have to think, what, what do they say, aim chin to get chest or whatever? You can just do that with the triangle. Yep. It'll be much more precise. And it's actually a guessing, lot like larger said. aiming point, too. So, mm-hmm. so faster. You, you pick it up much faster. Yeah. And again, a lot of this is done just in the subconscious based off of what you've trained the conscious self to do. So you don't notice it a lot, but it does actually happen. Like when you're close, you're like, you pick up the, the larger objects mm-hmm. faster. Yeah, I mean, to, to back up, not that it needs backing up what Ruben's talking about, because you've run this topic a lot more than I have, but just like first impressions of the reticle as a whole or almost as a system, to me, it's like way instinctual. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of practice to be a great shooter. You know, you're not going get, to get anywhere without that, but even just getting behind it for the first time, I remember being like, it was almost like your brain did work on autopilot. You almost let your brain work kind of as, as the supercomputer that it is. I just thought it was really intuitive and, and very impressive. Put the thing in the thing and pull the thing. That's right. Dave you, do, says. you do have That's to right. train yourself to pick it up. And, like, you know, it wasn't – we just actually went out to, to Nebraska and shot the Hornady three-gun match. Now, we're shooting a lot of rifle targets within 10 yards. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm going to use the UH-1 because there's only a couple targets over 100 yards, but the rest of the targets are all, you know, under, under 50, and there's a high number of targets that are really under 7 yards. And so <laughs> I shot my first stage – and uh, all the rifle targets were seven yards and under. So a triangle, boom, 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 boom. You know, like I'm going going to town. And um, I was like, man, I was shooting it as fast or faster than guys that were using like traditional optics, like one to sixes and one to fours. And um, it really was very clear to me what, you know, why that, that, and actually in this match we're shooting humanoid targets. So it's, is actually you're putting it really into application. And then of course on my second stage, my rifle, kind of failed and I had to go to a backup with a one to six, but I was able to make it work out just fine. But I definitely missed that holdover point because a lot of the targets were, that's exactly what they're used for. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So how about, here's another question. We're going to talk about compatibility here for a bit. So there's three things people ask us. Is it compatible with night vision? No, this one's not. Okay. So how about, and as far as night vision compatibility, now I've heard, I've heard some people say that it can get down, and it's maybe a little bit bright. Yeah, but you can see it. It's just that it's a little bit. It's it's on the bright end of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, you could it, you could make it work. We don't advertise it as night vision compatible, just because it's not the most ideal brightness. But y- you could make it work if you had to. Yeah. So with night vision, if you're thinking about traditionally mounting a, a night vision monocular behind the UH one, so that you're looking first through the monocular and then through the UH one. The reason why we say it doesn't work well is because the night vision devices are very sensitive to light. Otherwise, right, how would they work? So they're very sensitive to light. So it's picking up every little bit of light and ambient light and everything, and it's pulling it through and it's projecting it back to your eye. Now, the UH-1 doesn't quite go dim enough if you're in a very black environment. However, one thing that we have heard, like you kind of mentioned, is like we've heard from some people that... If you use an IR, like an illuminator, I'm not talking about a a laser, like an aiming laser, but if you're backlighting the environment, now that reticle isn't as bright in the optic. So it does totally depend upon like how dark it is outside Mm. and if you're using an IR illuminator or not. But we're always trying to be very upfront with customers and and let them know, you know, it wasn't designed with that purpose, but like kind of like you said, like we have heard, man, I have used it in practice and stuff. Well, that's good. That's good to know. Then, uh, how about with uh, like thermal? Speaking of kind of some more maybe specialty, you know, optics like that. Yeah. So if you're able to mount a thermal, actually in front of the UH one, because a thermal is actually it's like a little tiny TV screen, right? And so you have magnified thermals, which are intended to use with magnified optics. It's it's putting a tiny little, maybe a half inch by a half inch TV screen. And then it's intended that your magnified optic would zoom in and magnify that image. It probably wouldn't work extremely well with that because you wouldn't even be able to see the image. However, there's a lot of what I would call heads-up display thermals 
that are maybe a one and a half inch by a two inch screen in that application you can actually they work really well and we have heard from some customers that the uh1 works better than any other holographic site because the hood of the optic the protective hood on the uh1 will butt right up to the the screen of the thermal right that's what i've heard as well that's kind of what i was what i was getting at there too i've heard from uh from a few hog hunters down in uh, in Texas, that when they use thermals, they have, like you said, it butts right up to the optic, and so it's, it makes for a much cleaner cleaner view through the uh, through the thermal. Yeah, I mean, for for people that aren't looking at the optic right now, I mean, it's almost the objective in. I guess you could say it's almost like a flush, nearly flush vertical surface. Just about, yeah, as close as you can get. Okay, how about uh, magnifier? Three X magnifier, other magnifiers, will it work? Yeah, it works really well, actually. So it, it really seems to uh, sharpen up the reticle. I'm not exactly sure why I'm not on that side of things, but uh, in application, it, it when you look through it, it's like video game quality reticle. It's really cool. Yeah, right. Because yeah. a holographic reticle is a little bit kind of pixelated looking when you look through it, just yep. on, on without a magnifier. And that's just the nature of a hologram. It's yep. going to look a little bit that way. But like you said, when you pop up a magnifier behind it, for whatever reason... It really crisps up. Part of it, part of that is just that we're creating a really good hologram image. So when you're magnifying it, you're you're still seeing a very sharp image, and you know mm-hmm. that that goes even for traditional optics. You know, a lot of times when you have a high magnified rifle scope, it might not be very sharp, especially when you go to the higher magnifications, and that's just simply because you're magnifying the blur more too. Mm-hmm. And in this case, when it when you're seeing a sharp reticle, even magnified with, uh, say, a 3X magnifier, it still looks really sharp because it, it actually is a very well-produced radical image that we have in the UH-1. Cool. So, all right, last one here, and then, and then you know, Mark, you can pitch in if, if we, you have any additional ones, but uh, then we'll, we'll head to our last calls. But, okay, durability. Rube, how many, how many rounds have you put through these things total? I know it's not, you haven't had, like, one optic that you've put this many rounds through, but total over a couple of different units. How many rounds have you put down the UH-1? Okay, so I'm very fortunate to be here on the Vortex team and have had one in hand for a long time, you know, just to make sure that things are working before we get them out to customers. But between about four different UH1s, it's probably about 30,000 rounds. 30,000 rounds. And our guy, uh, our our friend Jerry Mitchlick, how many rounds does he have down? He had like... Jerry uh, was actually using the UH1 to set a world record at SHOT Show the year we released the Optic. Right. He had said that he was putting uh, anywhere from 500 to 1,500 rounds a day in the days leading up to it. Uh, so I think that was probably more than I've Let's shot nice. it. But, yeah, right? So, yeah. so, so several. So, several. Yeah. yeah. So I think he said he, he put anywhere from 20, 25 to 30,000 rounds through it, just practicing getting ready for that, that world record, which he actually did, um, yeah. which was really cool. And then we, our friends down at Last Shadow in Texas have had UH1s also since the beginning. They... Uh, they have put an average of forty to 50,000 rounds on each of their UH-1s, which they have six of them now. Sweet. Okay, so obviously they, uh, there's been UH-1s out there that have, been, that have been going for quite a high round count. Now, as far as like durability just from external sor- or forces, you know, bumping, dropping, what do you guys, what's the word on that? Well, the, the guys in product development did an awesome job with the, what I would call like the industrial design of the optic, the, uh, the angles and the shape of the housing and everything. So it's, it's very much due to the angles and the shape of the housing. It's very much reinforced. It's very strong. It's very rigid. You really, really have to get after it. To we even... take a, took a baseball bat, a metal baseball bat to one of them, and it was still working after we... Really? Yeah. We, uh, we, we, I mean, as hard as somebody could... Took a metal baseball that, bat to the that top. Actually was was that actually was kind of a that was kind of dented in the top of the. Was yeah. that testing or was that a fit of engineering frustration? That <laughs> no, that was like we were gonna do like a durability thing, and one of the guys brought a baseball bat, and I was like, "Are you gonna hit the optic with that thing?" He's like, "Yeah, that's what they they said we could hit it with a baseball bat," and I was like, "All right, so we can get lined up and shoot it, shoot a group, and unload and show clear and." All of a sudden, the Ken Griffey Jr. swing just comes down and hits the top of the optic. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Looked through it. Still great. Still worked. Loaded up. it up, shot another group. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> yeah, I could take a beating. Yeah. For sure. Well, great. Well, hey, you know, uh, like we said, we're going to kind of try and wrap things up here. I'm getting the cue from MC Ryan that we're running up on uh, nearly an hour, but... We talked a lot about the UH-1, as always. You know, uh, we love hearing your guys' questions. We answered a few of them here. 
But, okay, we'll do a quick last call round. What do you say? So we'll do, uh, Mark, you want to do, you've kind of been popping in here and there. You want to do a last call real quick? Yeah, I mean, my last call is, it was really cool listening to you guys talk about it. I mean, this is definitely an optic that, that you guys have a lot more experience with than I do. And then just additionally, with my limited use of it, I think a person would do themselves a service to check it out because I think depending on your application, it may be, may be the perfect fit. Dave? Last call, boy. I always know when, when we come out with a product that I can't wait to buy myself, uh, I always know it's going to be a good one. And, and so, yeah, I'm definitely, this is the site I like. I don't know what else to say about it, but that it's, is, a, it's a cool little optic. That so. is very true. Dave has been very amped about the UH-1, mm-hmm. and uh, that was one, especially as we were coming out with it, that he was very excited about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sweet. Rube? My last call would be simply to anybody out there who is a shooter, a military law enforcement professional, competition shooter, or everyday plinker. If you have been staying away from holographic sites because of, because of previous experiences with them, don't let it forever change your view of what holographics can be. That's a good last call. Man. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I was not amped to do a holographic site at first simply because of my, my expectations based off of what I knew about them. After getting behind it, getting a lot of rounds through it, testing it, doing durability checks on it, and just feeling what a holographic can be in the hands of, of a gunman, it is a phenomenal sight, and I would encourage people to at least get behind it and try it. Lovely. Good. My last call is a uh, question that I see here on my sheet now that I forgot, and I'll just answer it. I know I've been, I've been playing the role of the guy who doesn't know anything, but I will say this. I know it sits at a lower one-third co-witness height. And people have asked. So there you have it. Lower one-third co-witness. Otherwise, last call would be to, uh, yeah, just make sure to keep following the Vortex Nation podcast and let us know if you have any additional questions at all. And uh, we'd love to hear what you guys want to hear and shooting over ideas for more podcasts that you guys are are interested in. And uh, if you like this product-related podcast, maybe learning more about maybe some of the in-depth stuff that went into creating a product or how a product works, let us know too, because we'd love to hear uh, what you guys think of this, this style of podcast as well. So anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll uh, see you next time. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. Hey, if you were interested in some of the information you heard here too, but you don't want to go all the way back and listen to the whole thing again just to get out one little nugget of information, check out the link in the description because we'll have this in PDF form with uh, pretty much everything that we've talked about. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.